0: Heavenly, holy, blessed Jesus Christ, we have, we have come to the setting of the sun,
1: and we look to the evening light.
0: We sing to God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are worthy of being praised with your voice forever. O Son of God, O giver of life, the universe proclaims your glory. The Lord be with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
1: It is right to give him thanks and praise.
0: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. You led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by the day and a pillar of fire by night. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. For you are merciful and you love your whole creation. And we, your creatures, glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. an ensign before the peoples, before whom all kings are mute, to whom the nation will do homage, come quickly to deliver us.
1: I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me.
0: In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying, my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember, God, I moan, when I meditate,
1: my spirit
0: faints. You hold my eyelids open, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the decades of old, the years long ago. I said, Let me remember my song in the night, let me meditate in my heart, then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn
1: forever?
0: Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. on your mighty
1: deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. God, God, is great like our God.
0: You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples.
1: You with your mighty were your people.
0: Standing as an ensign before the peoples, before whom all kings are mute, to whom the nation will do homage, come quickly to deliver us. The reading of prophecy. From Isaiah, the seventh chapter. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The fulfillment of the prophecy from St. Matthew, the first chapter. which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. O Lord, have mercy on us.
1: Thanks be to
0: God. (coughs) Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous friend.
1: This is the name of...
2: to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the first chapter of Matthew, these words, and Joseph arose from his sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took Mary as his wife. This is our text, Your friends in Christ. I'm not really sure why, but the famous 19th century author, English author, novelist Charles Dixon. Dickens had a, had a hang up with Christmas Eve and with death. In two of his most popular novels, he writes about Christmas Eve and death, and he manages somehow to, to tie the two together. In the case, for example, and you remember this because perhaps you've already seen it in this Advent season, in the case of A Christmas Carol, it's old Ebenezer Scrooge, remember, who's visited by the ghosts of his business partner. Jacob Marley, who has the chains that are dragging behind him, those hellish weights and chains that are there. And there you've got that linkage between Christmas Eve and death. And then in a very popular novel that he also wrote, it's a, the same kind of a theme that, that follows through in the other novel because it begins in a cemetery. And there in a cemetery you see a little 7-year-old boy who's standing there with the over the gravestones of his family members who had died it's a little 7-year-old boy who is an orphan visiting the graves of his family and then the story evolves into an intriguing account of his life and the expectations that he has of being a gentleman someday in London great expectations for a 7-year-old orphan boy in 19th century England And that's why the book, of course, is called Great Expectations. Great Expectations becomes, along with The Christmas Carol, one of Dickens' most popular novels, in good part because it so strikingly is like so much of our lives, and we can identify it with it individually. Because after all, has it ever happened to you that you've had expectations in life that haven't been met? Expectations that you had, hopes and dreams that you had, but they never materialized, either because of your sin of having expectations that were far too great, or the sins of others who couldn't meet your expectations, whether yours were too great or they simply didn't try but expectations that we all have, and that's why we can identify with the Dickens theme, because we all have expectations that so often are shattered because of the sins or the shortcomings of ourselves or of others. And you talk about shattered expectations, that certainly is the case in our text for tonight with this man named Joseph with whom we are all so familiar. Here's a man who most assuredly experienced that crushing blow of having expectations that wouldn't be met, that crushing blow of having dreams that would never become reality, of having promises that were broken instead of being promises of fidelity, he thought, that were kept. Because, you see, months before he had committed himself in marriage to Mary, and she, before God and before family, had also then committed herself to Joseph, And it was in a legal ceremony, to be sure, a legally binding ceremony. You heard about it in the sermon last Sunday. The legally binding nature of the betrothal of couples back then, even before they would cohabit. In fact, an arrangement that's spoken of by one scholar in this way, he says, contrary to modern Western customs, with the betrothal of a Jewish man and woman, their legal relationship to each other began became that of a married couple with all the consequences entailed, save that they were not yet living under the same roof. And they would not be doing so for an agreed-upon time until the home-taking ceremony, it was called. And in the case of a virgin, this was often a year or more. You'd live apart for that long, as we heard in the sermon last Sunday. The vows of betrothal are made, and all that remained was for time to pass— and then, on the day designated by the groom and his father, and often unknown to the bride and her family, the home-taking ceremony would happen. And Joseph, all dressed in celebratory wedding garments, accompanied by jubilant family and friends, would process down the street to the house of Mary's father to get Mary, and then he would get Mary and bring her back up the street to the house of his father, where in that year's time he had added on a room or two to the house. And that's where they would live, and that's how the process would happen, and that's where the great expectations would really begin. But then suddenly, all of these plans made, all of these expectations there, promises made, and suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere everything falls apart. In one horrible, horrific blow, the young woman to whom he has linked so many of his hopes, so many of his dreams, so many of his expectations, is found to be with child. And that is indeed a pregnant phrase in much more ways than one. Found to be with child, and the child isn't that of Joseph, and that's no one was more certain of than Joseph himself. And so what began with such promise and what he had been working for and preparing for for a year now suddenly finds itself ending so harshly, cruelly, and so abruptly because love betrayed hurts far worse than love lost. How did Joseph discover that Mary was with child? We really don't know that. Joseph doesn't tell us that. He's such a quiet man. Indeed, if ever there was a silent saint, it was this man Joseph. In fact, what's interesting is you go through the Gospels, and you look through the Gospels and the all of Scripture, and there's not a single word, not a single word of all the quotations that are made and noted that is spoken of by Joseph. He's the silent saint, and he says nothing. But St. Matthew does tell us that Joseph does find out, and he apparently finds out sometime before most of the other citizens of Nazareth do. Did Mary speak to him directly about it or privately about it? Some scholars believe that she perhaps did, and yet there are other scholars who say no, that she couldn't have, because you see back then, you've heard the term the friend of the bridegroom, like John the Baptist being the the friend of the bridegroom Christ, the friend of the bridegroom. That was actually an official title that This person was designated the friend of the bridegroom as being the person to whom communications would have to take place between the bride and the groom during that one year that they were separated from one another. They would communicate their messages and communicate through the quote friend of the bridegroom, that trusted individual that would carry messages for them during that time. Whatever and however, Joseph did find out that Mary was with child and if he was told by either Mary directly or by the friend of the bridegroom that the child in her womb was a result of an overshadowing power of the Holy Spirit he obviously didn't believe it that's why scripture says because Joseph her husband was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her privily quietly privately he didn't believe Mary. He did not believe Mary. Would you? Would you believe a story like that? How many virgins give birth? What are the odds? One in a billion? One in a trillion? How many times has it ever happened in the history of the world that a virgin? has given birth. Never before in the history of mankind had it happened, never would it happen again. Indeed it is a one time event because of the uniqueness of the one time in history when God becomes man. And so it is that unique and it's marked by a birth that had never happened before and would never happen again. A virgin birth as we heard from the prophet Isaiah. In the Old Testament prophecy tonight but at first Joseph wouldn't believe it can you blame him a good man but it just goes to show us that a good man can be as good as he might be but it doesn't mean he's going to believe the right thing doesn't mean that he's going to believe the truth even when the truth is told him Joseph you see was judging the situation at hand on the basis of what any good man would on the basis of fact, on fact that could be observed and checked and categorized, facts which when he filtered it through the sieve of human reason would make sense when he'd filter it through the sieve of human experience it would make sense and he would do it fairly and he would do it objectively. But then when he would do it, all that human reason could conclude after he'd put it through tests, and I'm sure that Joseph must have done it again and again and again, but all he could conclude on the basis of human reason was that virgin births simply don't happen. And so it couldn't be, as Mary had said, and so he had two options. He had the the harsher one, legally charge her with adultery before a public court, which would then make her a public adulteress. And she would be publicly shamed and publicly shunned and possibly even publicly stoned. Or he could put her away privily, no public charge before a public court, a simple private letter of divorcement, which formally would state that they would no longer be husband and wife, without even a cause having to be listed. And Joseph, being the type of man that he was, chose the latter. No revengeful spirit at all in him. Before being able to put it into effect, however, his mind is going to be changed. Changed by an event that is as phenomenal as it could possibly be, it would be irrevocably altered. What he couldn't believe that was based upon the ordinary word of an ordinary person, even the ordinary word of his extraordinary betrothed named Mary, he does now believe because of the far more extraordinary word of God, which comes to him via an extraordinary angel, an advent angel. Remember what our Lord Jesus would later tell Peter who boldly confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but your father which is in heaven. Well, the same could have been said of Joseph, who believed then the Advent angels' tidings. Joseph believed not because he was a good logical man who was able to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together in some logical sort of way. Indeed, Joseph believed, not because of that, Joseph disbelieved because of that. Joseph believed only after it was revealed to him by God through an angel. Fear not, Joseph, thou son of David, to take Mary as thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is indeed of the Holy Spirit. She shall give birth to a son. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Amazing, isn't it? Miraculous dream indeed, the great expectations which Joseph had for his life with Mary, whatever they may have been, paled in comparison to what God had in store for Mary and Joseph his dreams were nothing compared to what God had in store for that couple and you can be sure that no matter what expectations Joseph had for his marriage to and his life with Mary they didn't include you can be sure they didn't include being the foster father being the guardian of the son of God I'm sure they never once included that of being the foster father of god incarnate there's one man who had no allusions to greatness and yet you can be sure that he never thought that his name would be so mentioned as it would be throughout the annals of history and the the echoes of history century after century and generation after generation joseph on the lips of millions and billions of people throughout the course of human history Never did he imagine that in his greatest expectations. Never did he expect that his career as a carpenter would include teaching the Son of God to use a hammer and the plane. Talk about Joseph's expectations, whatever they may have been before that angelic visitation and that revelation to him, you can be sure they didn't include having the Son of God living in his home, raising him and his own son. However great they may have been, you can be sure they didn't include teaching the one with, by whom and with a word the whole universe had been put together and even by whose word it holds together. You can be sure that Joseph didn't imagine teaching this one how to build things with hammer and with plane. God's plans for Joseph, you see far exceeded any expectations that Joseph could have possibly have had for himself. And you can be sure that Joseph never thought that he would be naming the child when he was told that he was going to name him either. Had it been his son of his flesh and his blood he would have had one of two names very probably. He would have either been named Jacob which was the name we know from tradition, and even from scripture, of Joseph's father. Or it would have been Joseph. That's the typical naming process. The father or the grandfather would be the source of the name that would be given. But no, the angel would tell him, you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means that he shall save his people from their sin. No matter what great expectations Joseph may have had for the sons that his wife would bear him, you can be sure that none of them came close to being what Jesus would be and doing what Jesus would do. He shall save his people from their sins. So foster father Joseph undoubtedly taught Jesus to work with hammers, and with nails, and with wood, but only his father above. Only the father of whom his divine nature is eternally begotten could place his only begotten son as a sacrifice upon wood, held there with nails and, of course, by his own love on the cross with hammers and nails to save his people from their sin. And that the father of our Lord Jesus Christ did that he did for you and for me and for Mary and for Joseph and for all people of all times in all of human history and you can be sure that our Lord Jesus far exceeded the greatest expectations that Joseph ever had in that regard even though Joseph didn't live to, to see the event of the cross happen with his own eyes. And in that way Joseph is very much like you and me. We didn't see that momentous cross event with our own eyes either, and yet we believe. And Joseph wouldn't live to see it, and yet he undoubtedly believed. He believed even as we believe because he heard the word of Jesus and how often he must have heard that word in his home. As he would talk with his foster son in the carpenter shop, as they worked together, about things concerning his divine task and the the destiny that had been foretold about his foster son by all the prophets. And Joseph believed him. And very probably, Joseph died with Mary and Jesus at his side, knowing that his greatest expectation of what would be could only be exceeded by what Jesus would actually do and be so also dear friends it is for us Jesus here with us even as he was with Joseph preparing us for that place that he has prepared for us and as he does we still sit still as you are as Joseph did listening in faith like silent Joseph did and the Lord Jesus still speaks to us through his word, even here, even now, as he did to Joseph so long ago. And we call him Lord, son of David, son of God, as Joseph did. And he responds by giving us, as he gave to Joseph, far more abundantly than all that we can expect or ask. In time, and surely for eternity, His advent, his coming, exceeds all of our greatest expectations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: is with us Emmanuel in the person of Jesus Christ and through him and in him who has exceeded all that we could imagine receive our thanks in these Advent days for your coming to us in grace and sustain us by your continued gracious visitation through word and sacrament until Christ at his second Advent comes in glory to receive us unto himself Lord in your mercy hear our prayer Lord Jesus who came to save your people from their sins. Through the assurance and comfort of your word, direct the hearts of your people, as you once did for your earthly guardian, Joseph, to live lives confident in you, and by the Holy Spirit, enable us in all times and situations of life to trust in your plans for us and your providence, to be still and know that you who gave yourself for us you yet are our God Lord in your mercy hear our prayer to this end uphold those who are undergoing treatment those awaiting test results those suffering from chronic infirmity be especially with your people who are are in their last days here below and comfort those who mourn the death of dear ones gone before us in the faith with the certain hope and expectation of the glorious inheritance that is laid up in heaven for us and already enjoyed by those now resting from this life's labors. Lord, in your mercy, grant to us good government, good weather, peace in our land and in our neighborhoods and in our homes and in our hearts. For Jesus' sake, forgive us our sin, and so teach us to forgive each other. Enable us to hold fast the confession of the faith until we reach our heavenly home. Lord, in your mercy hear our prayer. Lord Jesus, with your mother Mary and with Joseph, enable us to rejoice at the Advent angel tidings, which herald the greatest news to us and to all the world, and continue to prepare and enable us to pray the prayer that you yourself have taught us us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body, and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe would have no power over me.